1: Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. I'm Dave Sulecki. And this week, we're gonna have legendary motorcyclist Dave Aldana on the show with us.
2: Results from MXGP of France. If you're a French rider, it was a great race for you to see Romain Fabra take a whole shot and win the first moto. He beat the bullet, Jeffrey Hurlings, straight up in that first moto. It was great to see. Then he gave him a battle in the second moto. So if you're a French rider, you had a great weekend because that uh, theme continued on in the MX2 class, in the 250 class, Tom Vial, another French rider on his home track, goes 1-1, pulls two hole shots, wins both motos. It was just great to see. Now, really, in the 450 class, it's a points upset now. You've got Jeffrey Hurling surging into the lead, followed by now Romain Fabre in second. So... It's really interesting going to watch these next few rounds because Tim Geiser, who formerly carried the red plate and led the series, has fallen from first to third. So you've got a real tight points battle going on in the MXGP class and really some great racing on that French racetrack, man. First to third in
1: one event, that's a pretty big swing, but that means the points are that close, I guess.
2: Yes, it seems that way. Now, in the 250 class, it's not so much, BJ. It's more like a a runaway for uh, Maxime Renault. He's sitting on 488 points over Iago Geertz's 397. So almost seems like that class is wrapped up for the series and they've still got quite a few races to go.
1: AFT from the Charlotte half-mile drama-filled weekend. What was supposed to be a Friday night season-ender got postponed due to inclement weather until Saturday it was an amazing race by all accounts, and I'll lead with thank goodness no one got hurt because in the main event of the Super Twins class, points leader Briar Bauman, well he wasn't the points leader, it was Jared Mees. Bauman was in the lead let's say, and he crashed out of the lead on a wet spot of the track, leading to a massive crash, leaving unfortunately Sammy Halbert nowhere to go. He pretty much speared Bauman's catapulting motorcycle in the middle of the track. After all the dust settled from this massive incident, Halbert unfortunately was hospitalized. He was reported to be in stable condition. We hope that he heals quickly and well. Further, Bauman was able to get up under his own power and through superhuman abilities, took the grid for the red flag restart, where they did a five minutes plus two laps uh, final race to the flag, in which Bauman unfortunately succumbed to uh, his injuries. Uh, I'm sure he was sore and just unable to finish, thereby bequeathing the title to the legendary Jared Mees. He crossed the finish line in second place. It was an absolute battle to the line. JD Beach kept Mies honest and one Davis Fisher got the win when Mies and JD Beach were battling in the final corner. Took themselves just wide enough for a really sneaky Davis Fisher to get under him and he brought it across the line for his maiden win in the class. It was just an epic, epic battle that will be remembered and retold for years. If you were there, count yourself lucky. Again, we hope Sammy Halbert heals quickly. All the best to you, Slam and Sammy in the singles class. Dallas Daniels took a hard-fought singles title in the end of the season. He did what was needed. Congratulations, Dallas, on that title.
2: This week's industry spotlight, danger boy, Hayden Deegan, This boy makes a lot of noise, and he's all over social media. He has signed with Star Racing Yamaha for next year to finish out his amateur career. He's not quite pro yet. He's a 15-year-old young man, but very well-spoken, very uh, strong rider. So it'll be interesting to uh, kind of follow his career as he matures out of the amateur class and into the pros. Kawasaki has introduced uh, five new motorcycles. They were introduced October 5th. And leading the way, they've got the KX450SR, or Special Racer designation, which is really what Kawasaki used to call a works bike back in the day. And it's a premium model featuring high-level components, a KYB A-kit suspension, and it's a $13,000 buy-in. So that's probably a high watermark for a 450cc motocross bike. But it'll be interesting to see when these things hit the showroom floor and see how they take off. They've also introduced a couple new street bikes. The new H2R is a uh, its a high-level street machine that's class-leading horsepower, supercharged, and retails for $56,500. So line up, get your checkbooks out, and buy yourself a new Kawasaki for next year. Kawasaki's playing around in KTM
1: price categories with that 450SR for sure. This week's Moment in Moto History, on any Sunday, the epic, iconic motorcycle movie that we all know and love. This is the 50th anniversary year for that movie, the release of it. And that plays beautifully into the fact we will be talking to Dave Aldana, one of the movie's many stars today on Pit Pass Moto. His contributions to the movie were amazing. He was filmed numerous times in numerous of the flat track scenes, really getting busy with it. I think they made mention, Dave, maybe you would remember better than I, of his road racing uh, aspirations, if you will. At the time, they probably were just aspirations. As we know, Dave Aldano went on to great road racing success uh, in the mid-'70s and after.
2: Yes, he did. He became quite a quite a good road racer in his day. and. Uh, Interesting about that movie, it was financed by one Steve McQueen who actually helped star in the movie. So not only did he finance the movie, but he actually got to be in front of the camera in a movie that made stars of a lot of really uh, deserving riders. I think. And I think one of the most interesting facts about that movie, it was Oscar nominated and uh, failed to win the, the Oscar in 1972. They lost out to a movie called The Hellstrom Chronicle. And it was a movie that philosophized, what if insects survived over humans to take over and rule the world? Now, I don't know how that fits into a documentary format, but sounds like a science fiction movie to me, but it's too bad. I think it was a well-deserving movie and should have won the Oscar that year. And as we know, it was filmed and
1: produced also by one Bruce Brown of Endless Summer Fame. That's how I believe Steve McQueen came into contact with Mr. Brown was... Through the admiration of his previous film work in Endless Summer, the iconic uh, surfing movie. Yeah,
2: and it seems he took that same type of format and followed motorcycle racing in the same way and, you know, captured our hearts at the same time. Just a, just a great iconic movie and uh, I still go back and watch it probably every few months. I
1: can't wait to talk to Dave about his remembrances and all the guys that he got to work with. Welcome today to Pit Pass Moto, legendary motorcyclist, racer, and all things extraordinaire, Dave Aldana. Dave, thank you for taking the time to join us today. It's such a pleasure having you on our show.
0: Well, thank you very much for asking me to be part of the show. Uh, I honestly have to say, after all these years of racing motorcycles, still having uh, an interest with the involvement of them at racing level and uh, with people caring about me is quite an honor. Thank you.
1: Well, it would be impossible, I think, for anyone who knows anything about the history of motorcycle racing and riding, for that matter. You, uh, you're you not just a racer. That would be to pigeonhole you, uh, I think, uncharacteristically. You do a lot of things in the motorcycle world, not just racing. You're a builder as well at times, correct, Dave?
0: That That is correct. I do work on my own motorcycles, and I did at the very beginning, I guess, uh, to add a little comical note to what you just said. It's like, I'm not just another pretty face. I have I have brains too. I can work on them if I need to. Yeah. You
2: know, I, I half wonder if that's what draws a lot of us to motorcycles is the fact that we get to work on them too. And uh, it's the zen of, of owning a motorcycle, as they say.
0: Yeah, I think uh, working on uh, one's old motorcycle from the very outset of, say, my racing career allowed me to kind of, figure out what was going on with the motorcycle when something went wrong and if i needed to improve somewhere i was able to kind of mechanically minded think about what it is that uh, the improvement needs to be and, and then go from there so having a little bit of knowledge uh, kind of goes a long way especially when you At my level, uh, we're able to ride with the manufacturers, you were able to talk with the chief mechanics and then be able to converse back and forth with them what we thought maybe needed to be improved on the motorcycle. So knowing a little bit about how the mechanical part of it all worked was uh, easier to uh, explain to the mechanics where there was maybe uh, we needed to, like I said, help the motorcycle along
1: besides being a legendary racer in your own right in multiple disciplines you raced against what most would call some of the greatest uh, road racers flat trackers of their time and that leads me to my next question who was the sketchiest of those guys that you would call legendary racers that you didn't really enjoy racing is there one or was it all pure joy on the on the starting line
0: Actually, there there was not one. Now that you you put it in that term, sketchy, there was not one that I was uh, afraid to race against because maybe they were crazy or or maybe foxy. I think it was a quite a like a um, a challenge, you know, to race against guys like Mike Halewood, who you knew at least I did uh, from periodicals. That this guy was legendary in Europe. Uh, then there was Barry Sheen, who was the world champion who uh, I uh, raced against in the math races in England, it was sort of to see you know, how good we were against the good guys that gave us you know, some sort of a measuring stick to, to compare ourselves. And as it turned out, you know, we weren't that bad, but there was nobody really that I thought that was you know, kind of scary. You know, when I raced against people like Kenny Roberts or Dick Mann here in America, I really do believe, you know, we all kind of put our pants on one leg at a time. So we were all human and it just was figuring out how to make our bike, whichever was that one we were riding a little bit better or try to ride it more competitively. Now, there was a difference when, you know, we raced against guys like Kenny Roberts who had a special motorcycle that wasn't the same as this PZ750i rode. But I never was intimidated by them. I, I never was. And I'm sure they... They probably thought the same thing about me when it came to racing. Whether it was, you know, Jeff Smith with motocross or Roger DeCoster in motocross, I, I I just figured, you know, they're on the same kind of motorcycle I'm on. I can damn well race with them as good as they can.
2: Dave, thinking back, you you started your career in an era where everybody rode everything. They they basically all racers rode all kinds of racing, and I think back in that time, it was possible to actually make a living as a racer. Talk about you know how that was for you as compared to what you see today. How how uh, how can racers make a way in in and make a living at, at uh, what they love to do?
0: Well, I you know I don't know the <laughs> the status of people's bank accounts today, but I can tell you from what I know uh, from personal experience was you said the word, and I remember that was what I did not you know really care for, and that was making a living. Now there's not anything wrong with people having regular jobs, you know. Uh, whether a carpenter or plumber or an IT computer person or, or some sort of uh, astronaut, whatever. I always looked at it like I, I didn't want to make a living because I could do just a regular, you know, eight to five job and make a living. I, I looked at it like a profession where I needed to make money at it. And so I always looked upon myself as being a commodity, selling myself to a manufacturer or a potential sponsor, whether it be oil, helmet, or you know, a motorcycle shop, I was wanting to be compensated for the risk I was taking. And I always looked at it like from the moment I was leaving my house, somebody's paying me money to where I when I come back from whatever it is I was going to do, whether it was in America or Europe, that I was going to come home and put money in the bank to where I was not going to have to depend on the government or anybody else to take care of me when I got old. And knock on wood, I uh, was able to parlay the money that I made, racing motorcycles where I never had to get a job. I, I was able to make some investments and, and uh do very, very well in that. Now today I don't know if the guys are making that much more money than we made shit forty years ago, because you know, when we went a national back then, you know, it would pay three to five thousand dollars. For the main event and i don't know if they're making much more than that now plus uh we were getting the salary from the manufacturers or at least i made sure i looked at myself as a free agent where i was getting paid by whoever whatever company i was writing for and i don't know if today other than one or two guys are making money at this because i hear a lot of them have regular jobs they go back to uh and they 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 i hear them talk about going home and uh, being with their family and supporting their kids and all, you know, what I think is, 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 is honorable. But I, when I raced, it was like, you know, I was risking my life and I didn't know if I was going to come home from that that day, that weekend. And I hear them going, you know, back to work and supporting their family. And I just think that they're not making the money or making a, a, a uh, substantial amount of money for the risk they take. Gosh, I just saw, you know, guys have a bad, bad wrecks this weekend at Charlotte. And I, I know when I was riding, the companies I rode for had really good insurance policies. Today, I don't know if AMA even has anything uh, to cover these guys' expenses after they get out of the hospital. And I think, you know, that all, that all falls back into the difference of, of making money and making a living.
1: Yeah, that uh, crash that you referenced at uh, Charlotte was no joke. Bauman uh, was at the front of that, and we hope everyone involved is okay. Slamming Sammy Halbert was the one who had to go to the hospital. Word is he's uh, under his own power, so we hope he heals up quick. Dave, I was curious. So you you mentioned um, clearly your your drive to go beyond, as you said, making a living. This is your profession. You treated it as a profession, and you became the best professional racer that you could possibly be in all disciplines. Looked like you had a bit of branding, early branding going on <laughs> in the motorcycle. You know, it's now very commonplace. Racers understand the importance of branding. I am my number, so to speak. But you. Keynote for you is your uh, very unique leathers, right? That makes you a unique individual at the racetrack, wherever it is.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And I remember when I first got into this profession, uh, it was one of those where if you didn't stand out in some way, fashion, form, or in my case, a, a fancy leather suit, you, you weren't going to be able to stand out from the rest of the crowd and make more money. And I made it a point uh, that when I uh, started racing, that I was going to be, I don't want to say unique or different. I really didn't know it, but I was creating, as you said, that persona that was going to set me apart from everybody else. And when the AMA and I really didn't get along very, very well because I thought it was a bunch of old guys in charge of a young person's destiny and career, and they were thinking backwards. And I think now how times have changed. When I came up with uh, that conception of how uh, you know we should be compensated to now with social media how things continue to change that i was going to make sure that i was you know treated fairly and i kind of thought of myself as a free agent so when i came on the scene and started making a name for myself and doing things a little bit differently than everybody else i tried to coin in on that and the bones leathers you know uh, when they came out i at first was a little hesitant i didn't know how they're going to be you know uh you know, accepted, as it turned out, when I talked to people and I said, I'm going to be on the cover of this magazine, I'm going to be on the cover of this, uh, you know, newspaper, or I'm going to be associated with a manufacturer and I'm going to get a lot of publicity. I didn't realize that I was going to have to like back up those words. Luckily, I, you know, I was able to, you know, continue to race and be at the front and win races. But it's amazing. After all these years, I look back in my career and I, I think how I won, you know, a regional championship, state championships i won national championships i won world championship races but it seems like after all these years what the people remember most are my bones leathers you know now i, I as i uh, am still a showman to some uh, regards i give the people what they want you know they want they want to see me in the bones leathers. i will wear them uh you know handsomely i uh I think that, you know, that however they remember me and my name, I've, I've come to believe uh, I'll, I'll do what it takes because it has continued to open up doors for me today. I, I'm very amazed that I think my longevity, for one, has helped, but I'm still able to be the Grand Marshal at certain events. Uh, I'm able to be asked to do certain things that involve motorcycles. And it's all due to, I think, the name that I created for myself. And I say jokingly, I've outlived everybody else you know so that that helps and i can still string a few <laughs> sentences i can still string a few sentences together and uh, sound coherent enough to do interviews and people ask me to be part of whatever it is they're doing and i i really enjoy it and it's my way of, of giving back to the profession that allowed me to see the world and experience things that other people only dream about but i'm not giving back my money I, I, i'm keeping <laughs> that
2: and i don't think any of us would blame you dave now, you spoke of Grand Marshal, and congratulations on being Grand Marshal at AMA Vintage Days this year. That was great, and the uh, Bones Leathers were on full display, and I think just the outpouring of a, of attention and, and fans at that event for you had to have been quite a moment.
0: It, it, it was, and, and i said, you know, jokingly, uh, I think in a lot of my life, there's a lot, of, a lot of jokes in that regard, but I say jokingly, you know, you can never go back, but you know, with the motorcycles and the way and where I am in my life, I'm able to step back in time a little bit and being the grand marshal and wearing the most leathers and be remembered for something that I was doing for fun and probably would have done for free. And then to be remembered for all those antics and whatnot and race accomplishments is really great. and And I really am humbled by the people's sincere uh, desire to tell me you know, uh, stories that they remember about me or races that I won. But I know also in the real scheme of life that once I leave that facility, I'm just another bozo on the bus. Uh, I'm just another human being out there in the world trying to you know, make it you know, through you know, week to week, year to year. And uh, So I know that my place at the motorcycle races is one thing, but when I'm out back in the real world, I, like I said, I'm just uh, another face in the crowd, and I don't try to set myself apart from anybody. I think motorcycles has allowed me to learn who and what I am, and it allows me to be the person I was meant to be.
1: On that note, being able to step back in time is wonderful for a lot of racers. You, uh, you've you earned it, first of all, so it's, it's not a gift. It is something that you definitely earned. And to that end, are you uh, working? Do you have any desire or have you worked with up-and-coming racers to maybe give them some direction? Or is that something that's just not really been uh, prevalent in your development?
0: Actually, when I did some uh, dirt track schools and road racing schools, uh, yeah, I kind of am able to give back uh, to the young riders the knowledge and uh, experience that I've gained over the years. But as far as taking somebody under my belt and uh, being a coach, I find it, I don't want to say difficult, but I don't think I could tell somebody, even though I can look at them and rate and watch them race and, and say to myself or say to someone who's standing next to me, this guy should be doing this, this guy should be doing that, or hey, they should try this or try that. I can't get myself necessarily to go down in the pits and tell somebody that, but what I can do, and I have done this, is I have seen somebody and I will share with them the experiences that I had. And this is what I did. This is what worked for me. I would never tell somebody, you need to do this, you need to do that. But I, I do let them know that, you know, with anything that anyone is successful at, you get out of it what you put into it and the guy that puts in the most work usually has the best accomplishments and I will share with them this is what worked for me this is what I did but I could never you know like I said tell somebody even though I think (laughs) to myself and to you in this interview but yeah I, I see things that if they'd have done this I think that would have helped or if they'd have tried that that might have helped them but to answer your question you know, I think we all kind of learn certain things through life. I mean, life's experiences, especially more time you spend on a motorcycle or anything with two wheels, you're going to have better knowledge of what those two wheels or motorcycle is going to do underneath you. So, I mean, if anything that I could say uh, now to the public who's listening, the more you ride, the more you're going to be in tune or aware of what that that motorcycle is going to do. So, I, I whatever it is you do, you just do a lot of it.
1: Yeah, racers are still racers. Um, it's easy for most racers to remember being a young racer and hearing from someone older than you how to do things isn't always the best way, but definitely sharing examples and actual outcomes, that can be helpful. So I'm sure that's exactly why that worked for you.
0: Yeah, you know, there's, there has been a, a, an occasion where the young people will be brought over to my pit area by their fathers who have seen the movie on any Sunday or who I race at. one thing i do say to the young person who's five or eight or ten years old you got to have fun if you're not having fun doing it you got to find something else to do Because if it's not fun you know and and for me you know racing obviously uh and winning was fun but if i didn't have fun and enjoy traveling the world and meeting new people and experiencing new things in life i looked at every time i left my house not only was i being compensated for it it was an adventure. I couldn't wait to get out on the road or get on the airplane and look and see what was going to happen in my future. It was really an adventure. And if you're not having fun doing it like I was, you need to find something else to do. Because believe me, as I've gotten older, life is too short to not do what you want to do in this time that we have on earth.
1: Dave, it's been such a it's been such a pleasure talking to you. You are an amazing guest. Uh, we really want to thank you for taking the time today. I know you're a busy man, what with all of your uh, martial duties at a bare minimum. <laughs> I'm sure you have other duties beyond marshaling motorcycle events. We appreciate you doing that. Is there anybody that uh, you want to give a shout out to? I know you're not a sponsored racer anymore, but maybe there are some people that you want to mention.
0: Actually, that's one of the benefits of being the racer that I was. I still get uh, a lot of stuff from people to help support my racing. Alpine Stars, Motul Oil, Arai Helmets, Freewheeling Motorcycles, SBS Brakes, Saddleman Seats, uh, CP Pistons, Honda John. There's just a lot of people who are still behind me that I I couldn't do or continue racing like I do without their, their support. So thank you all out there.
1: Well, thank you again, Dave, for taking the time to join us on Pit Pass. We look forward to seeing what you get up to next. It looks like your race is nowhere close to over.
0: (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Thank you.
1: Upcoming road racing. We've got World Superbike of Argentina, October 15 through the 17th. The following week will be the MotoGP of Italy from the Misano circuit on October 24. As we know, that is the third of the remaining rounds. There will be two following
2: it. MXGP racing continues this tight battle series. We've got round 13 of 18 coming up in Spain October 17th. GNCC Racing closes out their season at the Ironman Raceway in Crawfordsville, Indiana, October 23rd and 24th. Thank you again to our guests for being with us today. And thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog.
1: This has been a production of Evergreen
2: Podcasts. A special
1: thank you to Tommy Boy Haverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm PJ Doran. I'm Dave Sulecki. We'll see you next week. Have a wheelie good time.